0: Have you, ever, have you ever had one of those moments where, in hindsight, you've been able to see the way that God has used the experiences, the experiences of your past to directly and uniquely shape you for the situation that you're in in the present? I'll say that again. Have you ever had those moments of hindsight where you've been able to see how God is using the experiences of your past to shape you for the now? I want to share a bit of a story with you about my first experience of college mission. Uh, Picture this, the winter of 2005, me, a plucky 22-year-old, with my cohort from YouthWorks College, uh, heading down the south coast to Ulladulla, the most southern point of the Sydney Diocese, um, and with the mission to proclaim the gospel, to transform lives, we had in our minds that we were going to set revival going uh, in this quite quaint little beachside community. We were on mission. Uh, within three days, I was in my car on the way back home. I hated it. I cannot stress how much I hated my, ex- my first experience of mission. I was, I was driving up, I was I was in tears. I just, it, it, it wasn't me. It wasn't what I was expecting. I didn't get into Christian ministry to talk to strangers. I didn't, I didn't get into Christian ministry to door knock and do walk-up evangelism. I got into Christian ministry so that people would come to me. That they would come to my church, that they would come to my youth group, and I would open up the Bible and I'd share with them how great Jesus was. I didn't want to go out. Mission was awkward. People told me they weren't interested. Go away. What sane person would want to do mission? Uh, I got all the way to Berry before I actually turned back um, So it was, you know, a fair drive it took for me to pluck up the courage. I don't know what it was. I don't even really know the reasons why I turned back. Was it prompting of the Holy Spirit, my reflection on God's word, or just blatant fear of, if I'm not doing this, what else am I going to do? But I went back, and I hated every minute of it. (laughs) And so as we start off, as we look at the book of Jonah, we continue in chapter 2. One of the th- I want you to be thinking of three things, and the, the questions will come up at the end uh, in our time of reflection. But I want to put, plant them in your head at the moment. Three questions to think about. How has God brought me to this point? What events, what experiences have I had that has brought me here? How might he be using these experiences for his glory? And what ways might he be using these experiences to change me to be more like Jesus? Uh, They'll they'll come up if you didn't get them. They will come up later for reflection. But that's what I want us to be thinking of as we dive into Jonah chapter 2. We saw at the end of last week, Jonah... uh, Left stranded in the waves, but the Lord, verse 17, but the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now, Jonah didn't ask to be a prophet, he didn't didn't sign up on a roster. It wasn't, you know, one of the things you tick, yep, I want to be a prophet. In fact, The prophets, that's not how prophets worked. You didn't sign up to be a prophet, you were chosen to be a prophet. It's kind of, you know, no one wants to be a prophet. You're usually sent with bad news, and the messenger often got shot. It's kind of like the church treasurer. No one wants to be the church treasurer, right? No one wants that job. The Old Testament prophets were rejected, despised, and objects of scorn. What sane person would want to be a prophet? And for Jonah, his calling to be a prophet wasn't just go to my people and tell them that they need to turn back. It was go to Nineveh. Go to the enemy. It's kind of like telling a New South Welshman, to go to Queensland with the message that they're all a bunch of uncultured rednecks. I'm sorry if you're from Queensland, I'm still a bit bitter after origin. But that message isn't going to go down well, right? That message isn't going to go down well. And so we see from chapter 1, Jonah runs. He runs as far as possible, and then he gets on a boat and tries to go even further. And so as we, as we look at the prophet Jonah, we, we can sort of think of him like a joke prophet. He's kind of like the Mr. Bean of prophets, right? He's not like the Old Testament heroes that we look up to, the Abrahams, the Moseses, the Davids. Sure, those guys had their failings, but Abraham still was willing to sacrifice Isaac. Moses, through trepidation, still went and spoke to Pharaoh. And David took on Goliath. Those are the heroes we want to look up to. Those those are the guys we want to read about in the Old Testament. Not, Not Jonah. He's a joke. And I wonder whether we don't want to look at Jonah's story because it hits a little too close to home. Because isn't that closer to us? Isn't Jonah more like where we're at? Maybe I'm just letting you in a bit more to me than you, but I can really relate to Jonah. I get him. But God wasn't going to let his plan fail because of Jonah's ineptitude. It wasn't going to be derailed because of Jonah's disobedience. And so he saw... Chapter 1, verse 4, then the Lord sent the great wind, the, the storm, to stop Jonah in his tracks. And as Jonah's thrown out and flailing in the water, drowning, God again provides a way out for Jonah. Through the big fish. Uh, whether it's fish, it's a whale, it doesn't really matter. And as we go through the book of Jonah, we get great insight into the character of God. See, Jonah actually knows what God is like. That's part of Jonah's problem. He knows knows what God is like. So Jonah's runaway isn't really an attempt to flee from God. It's more an attempt to tell God how much I don't want to do this. This is how much. I hate your idea, God. Jonah seems more willing to face the judgment of God than to obey God. So in chapter one, he says, Chuck me, chuck me over the edge. Chuck me into the water. I know that it's my fault. But it doesn't stay that way. Jonah, facing death, can't help but cry out. He cries out for salvation. He cries out to the God that he knows. And ultimately breaks into thanksgiving. Did you notice the movement in the story? So verse 17 of chapter 1 and then the start of chapter 2, uh, verse 1, he is prose. It's, it's a story. And all of a sudden, we hit verse 2, and it turns into poetry. And it forces us to slow down and take heed of what Jonah has to say. We want to know what happened. We want to know how the story continues, how it ends. But this chapter forces us to slow down and reflect on what Jonah thinks about God. And from it we can also learn a lot about Jonah and who he is. And so I want to focus on what we learn about God from Jonah's prayer firstly. See, Jonah's cry is both a cry for help and a song of praise. It's a song of praise because it highlights God's peculiar character. I say peculiar because... Back in chapter 1, verse 9, he said, I, He said, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the land. And it's peculiar because of what Jonah has to go and say in his prayer. See, we can quite often get so accustomed to what we, to our knowledge of the Bible, so accustomed to what we read in the Bible that we fail to see how outrageous it is. We fail to see how much there isn't that, that we can't fathom. Because this God, who this God of the of heaven, who made the the sea and the land, to Jonah, is a God who listens to his people's cry. And a God who acts in mercy to even those who are disobedient. As Jonah dwells on his predicament, as he's he's caught in in the storm, in the waves, as he faces his own mortality, he cannot help but to draw on and reflect upon what he knows of his God. He knows that his God listens to the cries of his people. And he knows that his God acts mercifully to those who are disobedient. And so Jonah cries out to a God that he knows. He's not like Homer Simpson in time of trouble who says, I'm not usually a praying man, but if you can hear me, save me, Superman. Now, Jonah knows that God is listening. He knows that God is there. In my distress, I called to the Lord, and he answered me. We heard from the psalm in our first reading. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, "Surely the darkness will hide me, and the light become night around me," even the darkness will be not will, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like day. For darkness is as light to you. He knows that God is there. He knows that God listens. It was interesting, Joe's prayer, as she prayed for us, that she pointed out if you're, for those that are feeling anxious, depressed, overwhelmed by life and what it brings, that we have this great comfort that we can call out to God in our distress. Because this is the God who heard the cries of his people in Egypt. This is the God who heard the whinging of his people as they walked for 40 years in the wilderness. And this is the God who even heard the wayward Jonah. This is the God who will hear you as you cry out to him in distress. And so it's with great comfort that we can reflect on the words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. And I know in those times when it's darkest, and you're so overwhelmed that you can't even fathom it, that it seems like God doesn't listen. It seems like he doesn't care. Don't let your feelings cloud your judgment. Don't let your experience cloud the truth of scripture. Remember the prophet Elijah when he was in distress and cried out for God and waited for a response. It wasn't in the loud clamor of an earthquake. It wasn't in the big things, it was in the gentle whisper. God listens and God cares. Listen for the gentle whisper of his word in the scriptures. Listen to the gentle whisper as he sends brothers and sisters to comfort you. Don't let your feelings cloud the truth that comes to us in Scripture. But the good thing is, God is not just a therapist in the sky, right? He's not just there to listen to our problems. God acts mercifully. And he acts mercifully to those who don't deserve it. Notice there in chapter 2, the second half of verse 6. As Jonah has been crying out, he says, But you brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. When things look the darkest, you acted. You scooped me up. Jonah is comforted because God acts. He provides the fish to save Jonah from imminent death. And so Jonah can end by proclaiming, salvation comes from the Lord. And the fish vomits up Jonah. On the shore, he's been given a new lease of life. And it's not hard to see where we should go from here, right? In fact, Jesus forces us to go here as he reflects on Jonah's experience and what he is to experience. Matthew 12, verses 38 to 41. Some of the Pharisees and the teachers of law said to him, that is Jesus, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asks for a sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a the, of the huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three, night, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And now something greater than Jonah is here. See, God's definitive act of mercy wasn't the salvation of Jonah. By him being swallowed by a huge fish. It wasn't even what we'll see in chapter 3 and 4. Of the repentance of all of Nineveh. And God's willingness to relent from the judgment. That he promised would come. That's not God's most definitive act of mercy. No, the definitive act of mercy that we see from God is in the death and resurrection of his son. That through it, that sin is done away with. That Jesus enters into death on our behalf willingly in order that we can have life. We've been shown the greatest mercy by God. We've been saved from hell. from being banished from God's sight for all eternity. Not because we deserve it, but because God is merciful and acts mercifully to people who are disobedient. And so how does this all affect Jonah? How does this this fact that God hears him and God acts mercifully to those who are disobedient how does it hit Jonah? well to be honest Jonah seems a bit self-centered right? from fleeing to God's mission to his prayer for deliverance Jonah cares about him he cares about what's going on with him and although he seemed ready in chapter 1 to face the judgment of God Because he knows he deserves it. He says it in verse 12 to the sailors. Pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that this is my fault. He knows that God held him into the sea, verse 3. He knows that he's been banished from God's sight, verse 4. He knows that God has sent the waves and the breakers to overcome him. And he can't handle it. He's not ready for the judgment of God. And so he sought the God that he abandoned. But we need to remember that Jonah's experience here is not metaphorical. (laughs) This is actually what happens to Jonah. He's actually overwhelmed. He's actually drowning. Maybe Jonah's language resonates with you. Like I said, for those who suffer depression, anxiety, this language can be the reality of what's going on. It's easy to feel overwhelmed, and in the depths of despair, it's easy for us to focus inward to internalize everything but there's a danger as we do this and as we compare ourselves to Jonah and so I want to pause at this point and say that we don't want to com- we don't want to put our experience in Jonah's experience those feelings of anxiety being overwhelmed feeling like the walls are closing in like we're drowning Maybe even death is knocking. I would be horrified for you to think that that is because God is judging you. That is because God is punishing you. Uh, For Jonah, blatantly and deliberately disobeyed a direct order from God. And he was facing a punishment for it. But I cannot say the same. For you,
1: and the reason
0: I can't say the same for you—that if this is your experience—is because remember what we've heard. God is a God of mercy. God listens. God acts, and in Jesus, God's greatest display of mercy—the judgment and punishment for our sin—has fallen on Him. I if. If you are struggling, I don't know what God's doing. I don't have the answer to that. But the comfort is, is that the punishment for sin has fallen on Jesus. It's not ours to bear. There's one thing missing from Jonah's prayer. Did you notice it? What was missing? Jonah doesn't really repent. There's no turning to God. Jonah, sure, he cries out to God, but there's there's no admission of guilt. There's no turning away or acknowledging that what he did was the wrong thing. Now, I want to talk about two aspects of repentance. Firstly, there's repentance of action, there's turning away from wrong action. You can turn away from doing the wrong thing and do the right thing. But then there's also repentance of the heart. Having a heart which is focused not on the wrong thing, but on God. We see as we go on next week, we'll see that Jonah goes to Nineveh, he preaches. He has a repentance of action He does the right thing. But we'll see as we get to chapter 4, that his heart's not in it. There's no repentance of his heart towards these people. But God still uses Jonah, even though his heart's not in it. To be honest with you, Sometimes I don't want to do things. If it's been a a long week, there's times I don't want to come to church. I don't want to teach the kids on Friday at kids' club. That's not regularly, by the way. I just want to say that. But sometimes... And I think if you're honest, you'd probably find the same. If you thought about it, there are times you don't want to do things. Maybe sometimes you don't. But often we do. We know what the right thing to do is, so we change our action and carry on. And it's all okay, right? Right? If God relied relied entirely on our hearts being in it, there's not much that would get done in this world, in growing his kingdom. There would definitely be things that would get done. There are people who jump in headfirst, heart full of joy. And there are times that I do that. But if God relied on only those times, not much would get done. However, isn't that just another sign of God's great mercy? That he uses us in our imperfection when our hearts aren't in it. He still uses it. Isn't that a great reminder that it's not up to us, it's up to him? That he's able to use what we do in spite of us? It's easier to repent of our actions. It's easier for us to just do the right thing, to just carry on. But for our hearts to change, for, for us to have true repentance of our hearts, that's an act of God. So rather than begrudgingly just changing our action, begrudgingly doing what we know is the right thing to do, when our hearts really aren't in it, at those times we need to call on our God for mercy. Ask Him to change our hearts, to incline our will to His. When I've had a hard week, I need to pray to God that he would give me a delight to teach the kids at kids club. When the last thing I want to do is walk up to a stranger and tell them about the gospel, I need to pray that the Holy Spirit would give me the desire to see that person reached with the good news of Jesus. What is it for you? What areas of your life do you need to ask God to change your heart in? Are you willing to do it? Whatever it is, whenever it happens, whether it's regularly or a once-off, we need to pray that God will be merciful with us. Call out to Him. Trusting in His goodness to change us. Remember those three questions. Josh, can you put them up for us? As we have our time of reflection, I want us to reflect on these things. How has God brought me to this point? How might God be using my experiences for his glory? And what ways may God be using my experiences to change me to be more like Jesus? See, Jonah should have come out of his experience with a greater understanding and appreciation for God's mercy. But he doesn't. He should have come he should have delighted to see Nineveh converted because they turned to God. But as we see, as we're going to see, he doesn't. We need to ask God that He would help us to not make the same mistakes that Jonah did. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you listen to us when we call out to you. We thank you that you show mercy to those who are disobedient. Help us to have hearts which are inclined to you. Help change our hearts So that we can have joy in your ministry. The ministry that you've provided for us. Change our hearts so that we would be more like your son. Amen.